If you please open your Bibles to the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. And also, you could open to Lord's Day 10 of the Heidelberg Catechism, which can be found on page 876 in your Trinity Psalter hymnal, or it's also printed in your bulletin. We're going to be uh, reading or reciting uh, Lord's Day 10 together as a public profession of our faith about what we believe in the providence of God. Well, this evening, as we commune around God's Word together, we're going to be thinking about storms. If you found your place in the book of Mark, you should have encountered an account about a storm. And the key figure in this storm is Jesus. So most translations have a heading employed which acknowledges him in connection with the storm which has been written about. The heading in the ESV is Jesus calms the storm. Now children, in the story that we are going to be looking at this evening, there are really two kinds of storms going on. One kind of storm we can see with our eyes. The other one is one that we cannot see with our eyes. The one that we could have seen with our eyes if we were there when this real story that we're going to be reading about takes place involved a strong wind and some very big waves. Maybe some of you children have been to Lake Michigan when a storm comes in and you've seen these big waves start to break upon the the, the shoreline. Well, a big storm was exactly what had had come about in this passage that we're going to read about. And these these men that were in the boat uh, were were experiencing a strong storm within themselves. These these grown-up men in the boat there with Jesus, well, they were scared. In fact, they were they were scared for their lives. They thought they were going to die as this terrible storm overtakes them. That's why they woke him up and said to him in verse 38, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing or going to be destroyed or killed? Now you think that this feeling of fear on the inside of the disciples would have gone away after Jesus woke up and calmed the storm. But did it make the feeling of fear go away on the inside? What does it say happened in verse 41 after Jesus rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still, and the wind ceased, and there was great calm. It says, read along with me, children, and I hope you are. It says, and they, the disciples, were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. The disciples were fearful or scared of the storm, but they were very much afraid or filled with great fear when they realized that Jesus has the authority and power to rule over nature and that even the wind and the sea obey him. I draw our attention to this fact before we get into the word this evening, because much of the visible church today approaches God very casually. There's this laxity that is starting to to seep in, even even in Reformed churches, and Reformed churches that would be considered conservative Reformed churches. Now, to be sure, children, please hear me carefully. We are not to be afraid of God. We are not to be afraid of God. But we are to come before God reverently, in reverence and in awe. So we're going to go before God. And we're going to ask Him in a particular way to help us through the Word tonight, but also to help us in the remainder of our worship to worship reverently, even as we have been doing so far. 
Please bow your hearts with mine in prayer. Oh, Heavenly Father, we, we come to you now in a particular way, thanking you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would use this lowly man that fills the pulpit to faithfully preach your word. And we pray that as we hear the word preached tonight, the Spirit will write this word upon our hearts and give us what we need to worship and serve our great triune God. And that for the sake of your glory and honor. And Father, we would pray that you would, that you would create within us a real sense of awe of who we worship and serve. And that you would keep this church on the right track in their worship. That they would indeed do as they do. Come reverently before the maker of heaven and earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The word of God is recorded in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41 of the English Standard Version of the Bible. Listen, listen attentively as it is read in our midst this evening. On that day, when evening had come, he, Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thus far, the reading of God's infallible and inerrant holy word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, each one of us experienced different types of storms with varying levels of intensity throughout our lives. Now, these storms arise in different ways in each of our lives. Sometimes storms arise deep within us. They arise in the inner sanctum of our bodies where our spirits dwell in communion with the Holy Spirit. Some may be experiencing such a storm today in the form of severe depression or anxiety. Other storms arise by way of a person's body malfunctioning. One's brain that used to work so well now has severe episodes of memory failure. A grandpa or a grandma goes shopping for groceries and can't find the car in the parking lot or the way home afterwards. And it's a really scary thing for them. Others who are not abusing drugs or alcohol experience severe, frightening hallucinations that are very real and scary to them. And then there are the severe storms of bodily health and disease. The overactive Thyroid that will at times make one experience symptoms of anxiety, or the underactive thyroid that produces symptoms of depression. And then there's the unexpected heart attack or stroke, or the unwelcome report from the doctor, you have cancer. And there can be soul-wrenching storms that arise between a husband and a wife, and between parents and their children. Sometimes storms arise between relatives. And some of these storms can become so severe that members of the same family can hardly stand to look at each other. There are also severe storms within congregations wherein saints who used to worship and enjoy sweet fellowship together are now at painfully odd situations with each other. A devastating storms that occur within the intimate institutions of the family and church, can leave hearts cold, bitter, 
and bearing grudges that can rest, last the rest of people's lives if action is not taken to forgive and to be forgiven. And may I say that action must be taken in such cases. It is not an option for a person who professes to be a Christian to fail to grant forgiveness to a person who has sinned against him or her, no matter how much pain and sorrow that particular sin has caused him or her. Remember the words that were uttered by Jesus after he gave us the wonderful model prayer we call the Lord's Prayer. And I quote from Matthew 6, verse 15, If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. These are pretty serious words, brothers and sisters in Christ. Sometimes we kind of just nurse a little bit of a grudge with another Christian. Well, they hurt me too bad. I'm not just going to forgive them and let that go. Boy, that's dangerous ground to be standing on. We must think of the, the countless times that God forgives us every day for the sins that we commit against Him. Oh, if you saw the number of problems in families and in churches that I see in the call that God's given me as a director of IRBC, if people would just humble themselves and come before God and say, first of all, I've sinned against you by not forgiving so-and-so or this group, if they would just do that and then follow the biblical principles of reconciliation. Is our God not strong enough and wise enough to provide reconciliation in families and in churches? Well, of course he is. Oftentimes it's our hard hearts that cause division. Oh, and we need to pray. Pray, brethren. Pray for ourselves. Pray for our family members. Pray for our churches. That there'll just be this humble spirit and this this readiness to forgive whenever we're sinned against. So very important. Well, then there's, there's severe storms that arise within the sphere of civil government. Uh, storms that become so severe that citizens with, within cities, states, and nations are at odds with each other. We're seeing those kinds of storms today. And brothers and sisters in Christ, you know as well as I do, we don't need politicians to take care of the problems. We need God to take care of the problems. God to work. As citizens of this city, of this state, and of the United States of America, we must prostrate ourselves before the King of kings and Lord of lords and pray for peace. Not peace by banishing God, the Ten Commandments, and the gospel from private or public schools, the government, commerce, or the public square. For this so-called peace is no peace at all. It's a false sense of peace that ultimately causes division and which damages people's consciences and souls, and oftentimes their bodies as well. I was at the Hudsonville Public School board meeting on Monday night. They're in support of getting a filthy book out of the library. A filthy book that was vulgar shouldn't have been in a high school library. I was there earlier, and I was speaking against another book that was in that library. And I went before that board, and I said, board members, please understand, I'm here because I care for you. I care for you because you'll give an account on Judgment Day for how you vote on this book. And I care about the children in this school whose minds will be corrupted by this book and such books. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that's the kind of stuff that we need to be doing. 
Yeah, I said, uh, God is the one who is the only one who can take care of, 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 of the differences that we see in, uh, in, in amongst people, uh, in, in cities and in states, uh, of the lawlessness and apostasy that we see going on. Uh, we need to be saying, here am I, send me, and we need to go there. And we need to share the gospel. We need to be busy doing the work that God has called us to do. And as we do, God will be with us. As we do this, there will be storms. Storms. Some pretty severe ones at times. But God will be with us in the midst of those storms. Well, we're going to use that word a little word, listen, as a springboard to dive into the context of our text. Jesus uses that little word at the beginning of chapter 4. And children, I hope your, your Bibles are open. If you're old enough to read, you're old enough to have your Bible open. And I hope you're following along as the Word of God is preached and taught. That's really important. You can do that. But if you look at verse 3, you'll notice that word listen, and it's followed by an explanation point. You, young, you older children know that an explanation point is a, is, is a mark that's used to express strong emotion. And it's usually used in commands and declarations. The importance of listening when Jesus is teaching us through the mouthpiece of Scripture is so important. Jesus emphasized the importance of listening to the crowd he was teaching. At the time, the text we have taken under our consideration was written. Please read along with me at verse 1. It says, And again he, Jesus, began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat on it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things and parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen. Children, listen. Adults of all ages, so important that we listen. It's so important that we get to bed on time on Saturday night so we can come to church and come under the preaching of the Word and listen. It's so important that we order our family lives so devotions have a priority so we can gather together as families around the Word of God and listen. Listen. Because the proclamation of the Gospel is critically important. It provides deliverance from hell for the unbeliever. It provides for the believer wisdom, knowledge, and discernment in these increasingly deceptive days in which we live. Have you noticed how deceptive times are? If you haven't noticed, maybe you buried your head in the sand somewhere. But we live in deceptive times. Well, I'll tell you what's not deceptive. I'll tell you what's not deceptive at all. The Word of God is not deceptive. And we need to be in the Word. And we need to be listening to God speak to us in this Word. Well, as we look at the broader context of verses 35 through 41 of chapter 4, those verses which have been selected for our text, we notice that Jesus is teaching a large crowd. In fact, the crowd is so large that he got into a boat to better enable all of them to listen to him teach. The first half of verse 2 tells us about the manner in which he taught many of the things which he shared with a large crowd that day. Children, please read along at verse 2. It says, And he, Jesus, was teaching them many things in parables. Now, before we get into the heart of the lesson provided by our text, it's important that we understand the purpose of the parables which Jesus was teaching the crowd. Verses 10 through 12 provide for us an explanation of that purpose. Please read these verses with me. 
And when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see but not perceive, that they may indeed hear but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. Was Jesus advocating an alternative form of teaching by using parables as he taught the crowd? No. Typically, parables were not the primary method used to impart truth. Parables in the Bible, as most of us know, are a form of teaching wherein there is typically a connection between a spiritual truth and a common practice. While parables explain spiritual truths to the followers of our Lord, they also have the purpose of disguising truth to those hardened hearers who opposed opposed Christ. Properly understanding a parable, or as far as that goes, anything which is recorded in the 66 books which make up the canon of Scripture, requires that a person has a regenerated heart. It requires that a person is born again. A person who is born again is one who has responded to the gospel by faith and as a result is reconciled to God. As it was then, so it is today. For those who have not been reconciled to the Heavenly Father by faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, everything they read in Scripture is like a parable, which is unexplained to them. They don't really get it because they're outside of the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says that the natural man, that is the person who has not been born again, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. There may be some here tonight who may listen to this sermon by some other means, if they're not here tonight, that that have been baptized or made public profession of faith or have gone to church most, if not all, of their lives. Maybe some have even served as Sunday school or catechism teachers, youth group or adult group leaders. There may be even some who have even served as office bearers, yet who have not personally embraced Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord. Some, if not many, of such folks have probably done many good deeds or even great things in their families, in their respective churches, or their civil communities. But what a shocking surprise it will be for them to hear these words fall from the mouth of Jesus after they breathe their last breath. I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Most of us have heard the earth-shattering, soul-searching words of Jesus recorded in Matthew 7, verses 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Many of us have heard these words. But have we honestly examined ourselves with judgment day accountability in light of them? Have you heeded the exhortation given in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith? And by the way, believe it or not, This type of a sermon and this type of an exhortation is is not necessarily popular, even in conservative Reformed churches. It's not popular because, unfortunately, some have misunderstood what the Bible teaches about baptism. They've misunderstood what the three forms of unity teach about baptism. They've misunderstood what the Westminster Confession teaches. And standards say about baptism. They somehow think like Roman Catholics and think that once they've been baptized, 
they've been regenerated. That they're automatically believers. That's so far from the truth. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we must pray. We must pray. Those of us who know Jesus Christ, we must pray. We must pray for our church members. We must pray for members outside of our own congregation. And we need to pray for the lost outside of the church. We need to be praying that each and every person within each and every congregation of the saints truly knows Jesus Christ by faith. We must plead that. Husbands, fathers, we must have our children here at church each Sunday so they can come under the preaching of the Word, so the Spirit can do a a work through that Word. Remember the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Children, this is a serious matter for you. You've heard about Jesus in Sunday school. You've heard about Jesus from this pulpit. Have you personally embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Mom and dad's faith won't save you. Jesus will save you as you embrace him by faith. And what a glorious thing it is when when one embraces Jesus Christ by faith. There's now no longer any condemnation for the believer. That, that, that person who is dead and trespasses and sins is now alive and, and the word of God comes alive. And, and, and one's, one's tongue is loose so he or she can sing the praises of Almighty God. How wonderful it is to be a true child of God. Well, we looked at and made an application of truth found in the broader context of the fourth chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Now let's, in dependence on the Holy Spirit, seek to understand our text. And by the way, if you're watching the clock, all I have to say is shame on you. And I won't say any more. First, let's understand how Jesus exercises his rule sovereignly. When used as an adjective, the term sovereign is used to describe a person who possesses supreme or ultimate power. Jesus demonstrated his ultimate power as almighty God and creator of the universe and everything in it by rebuking the wind and saying to the sea, peace, be still. Now, it's important to take a couple things into consideration as we think about Jesus exercising sovereign rule over the wind and raging sea in the episode of real-life history we have open before us. The first is that Jesus Christ exercised his sovereign rule over the winds and over the sea as one who is both God and man. That's pretty pretty fascinating when you really think about it. Jesus as full man, he was tired in this episode. He's, he's, he's sleeping. It was his need for bodily rest that motivated him to utter to his disciples what he said in the second half of verse 35, let's go across to the other side. Jesus was dead tired from teaching all of those people on the side of the seashore. And if that was not enough, It says in verse 36 that after his disciples took him in the boat, just as he was, that is, with the clothing he was wearing while he was teaching, he didn't even have time to change into warmer clothing for the evening boat ride. There were boats with him. Jesus couldn't even fully escape people by getting into a boat and traveling away from a large crowd, which was gathered on the seashore. So he goes to the stern or back of the boat, and reclines on a cushion and falls asleep. 
It's while he is asleep on that cushion that the great windstorm spoken about in verse 37 arose and the waves start breaking into the moat. It's really amazing, isn't it? One moment we see Jesus as fully man, exhausted, sleeping in the back of the boat. And the next we see him as almighty God, rebuking the wind and stilling a turbulent sea. Jesus is both fully God and fully man. And as the God-man, he rules sovereignly over the storms each one of us have in our lives. Just as in love, God predestined the adoption of his elect children before the world was created and the hands of time were set in motion, so did God, remember this, children of God, just as God predestined our adoptions, God also predetermined every trial that we would have in the, faith, in, in, in the course of our lives. Isn't that wonderful? To know that God had... Has, our, has each one of our paths perfectly marked out for us and not a thing comes to us apart from his will, he predestined those, those trials that we have, those trials that come to us by way of providence. In a moment, we're going to stand and recite together questions and answers 28 of the Lord's Day as a public profession of our faith, stating what we believe that nothing comes to us by chance but instead by God's providence. And for this reason, we can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, and can have a firm confidence in our faithful God and Father that no thing, storm or anything else, or creature, evil angel, or man can separate us from his love. Please stand and we will recite together question and answers 27 and 28. Say this from your heart. Uh, It's a public profession of what we believe concerning God's providence. What do you understand by the providence of God? Providence is the almighty and ever-present power of God by which God upholds as with his hand heaven and earth and all creatures and so rules them that leaf and blade, rain and drought, fruitful and lean years, food and drink, health and sickness, prosperity and poverty, all things, in fact, come to us not by chance, but by his fatherly hand. How does the knowledge of God's creation and providence help us? We can be patient in adversity, thankful in prosperity, And for the future, we can have good confidence in our faithful God and Father that no creature will separate us from his love. For all creatures are so completely in his hand that without his will, they can neither move or be moved. You may be seated. Aren't you glad that we have these Reformed confessions? You could say that with your heart, couldn't you? Children, I hope that you thank God that you are heirs of the Reformation. I was reared in a Roman Catholic church. I didn't didn't have these great creeds. Oh, never take these for granted, beloved congregation. To be sure, these are not on par with Scripture. Scripture alone is God-inspired, but these are time-tested, faithful summaries of the Orthodox faith. Oh, brothers and sisters, please never lose sight of what you have been given. Never lose sight of this. Well, the disciples in our text are experiencing a life threatening storm because God decreed it in eternity. Theologians use the word decretive will to express those things that come to us by way of God's providence. There was another boat story you children might know of involving Jonah. Jonah 
Well, the storms that he was experiencing were directly related to the fact that he was not obeying God's preceptive will or will of command, that those commands that are given in Scripture. And that caused a pretty severe storm in his life and those who were on the boat with him. Children, please listen to this. Please listen to this. Sometimes the storms that we will have in our lives have to do with the fact that we are being disobedient to God's commands. And God loves us enough to have a storm come. Sometimes it's a storm of a guilty conscience and you just become so burdened that you can't hardly, you can't hardly sleep. Some people are depressed because their consciences are just, they're soiled, they're, they're, they're dulled because they're, they're not paying attention to God working by way of the Ten Commandments. Every time we have some problem, some storm come into our lives, the first thing we need to do is go before the face of God and, and, and prayerfully discern if God is disciplining us because we're breaking a command. That's a great thing that God's doing for us. Sometimes people try to cover it up. They try to, they try to manipulate others to get around it. And here, the, our loving Heavenly Father is just trying to discipline us because He loves us. Well, the, the disciples in the boat story that we have open up before us weren't disobeying God. Now, I want to make one application point here because we sometimes we, we have a tendency that when somebody is going through trouble we think, well, hey, are they disobeying God's commandments? Or, you know, he or she deserves that because there's disobedience in his or her life. We need to be real careful about that. Remember Job, the story of Job? Job's counselors? They just assumed that Job was living in disobedience to God. And they augmented his suffering by doing that. So as we see other people suffer uh, because of something that's happening in their lives, we don't want to right away assume that, that they've sinned. But again, when something happens to us, the first thing we should do is get down on our knees and say, Lord, are you trying to, dis- are you trying to discipline me in some way here? I want to know. And he'll, and he'll reveal that to us. He'll reveal that to us. Next thing we want to look at here is how Jesus exercises his rule personally. He, he exercises it sovereignly. Everything that comes into our lives comes to pass just as he has planned it. He exercises his rule personally. The first half of verse 38 says that he, Jesus, was in the stern. Jesus was right there with his disciples. When you're going through trials... Brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe some of you are going through a deep trial right now. Don't forget, Jesus is with you. He's in your vessel. Our bodies are vessels. Our our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is present with us by way of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We're not alone in in this trial. Isn't that great? We don't have to go through these trials alone. He exercises his rule personally with us. Now, it's important that you take this home with you. Jesus Christ's personal rule in your lives as individuals, as families, and as a congregation, it's important you take this home. Yeah, we are to worship God and to enjoy Him on each Sunday. We're to live in obedience to His commandments throughout the week. Listen to me. But we are all to be carrying out the Great Commission. That's not just your pastor's job. 
That's not just the elder's job or the deacon's job. That's your job, that's my job, that's all of our jobs. We need to pray that God will, that will, that God will be a, about working in our hearts that will be doing this. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 reminds us that God has given some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. We're all, we all have been given spiritual gifts and we're all to be using those gifts in each other's lives, ministering to one another inwardly, but we also are to be looking outwardly. There's neighbors around here that are unsaved. We need to pray that that God will bring those neighbors into these open pews down here. And how's He going to do that? By us being out in our neighborhoods, by carrying out the Great Commission, by going out into all the world. And by the way, our world's right out here. Going out into the world and sharing the Gospel. And, and, and coming here with us and, 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 and teaching each other. We're to teach each other and hear the Word being taught through this pulpit and in Sunday school and catechism, teaching us to obey everything that God has commanded. We need to pray that God will set our hearts on fire to carry out the Great Commission. What a privilege it is. We aren't down here just to kind of enjoy life for a while. We're down here to do a job. And we need to get about doing it. And Jesus, just as he was with the people in the boat, he's with us here personally. And Jesus tells us he's going to be with us personally in the Great Commission, given in Matthew 28, 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the pastor's job. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. He's here with us. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus enough to tell others about him? Do you love Jesus? Listen to me and look up here. Do you love Jesus enough to take the gospel out into your neighbors and to tell them what they need to hear to escape the flames of eternal damnation. Do you love Jesus enough? Lo, I am with you. I'm going to be with you. I don't know what I'm going to say. Get some good tracks. Believe it or not, you know the gospel better than you think you know it. God will give you the words to say. but you've got to have a zeal for it. You've got to pray, God, give me a zeal for this. The Bible says we're not, to, we're not to be slothful in zeal. Pray for zeal for yourselves, for this congregation, for the congregations of the United Reformed Churches, and for all of our sister denominations. Can you imagine how the world could be changed if all of God's people in all the congregations of the saints and the denominations were determined to share the Great Commission, can you imagine the difference that would make? But Jesus Christ, he's with us in the midst of our storms. He's with us as we, as we go about doing the work that he's called us to do. He exercises his rule in a very personal way, and he exercises his rule compassionately. The last thing I'm going to look at, verse 40 and 41 says, he said to them, 
Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now Jesus could have rebuked his disciples here. They'd seen him do some great miracles. They saw him restore the hand of a withered man in Mark chapter 3. They saw him heal a paralytic in Mark chapter 2. They saw him heal a, possessed, a man possessed by a demon in Mark 1, verses 21 through 27. And then in Mark 1, 29 through 31, they saw Jesus heal Simon's exceptionally ill, Ill, Ill mother-in-law. And after that healing, it says the following in verses 32 through 34, the evening... At sundown, that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Who is this? Yeah, he could have said, Hey, come on, man, you've seen my wisdom and power. Are you bereft of any measure of intellectual endowment? No, the eternally begotten Son, ordained of God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher and our only high priest and our eternal high king who governs us by his word, ruled the disciples featured in our text compassionately and as his instruments, we need to be compassionate as we minister to one another. I'm amazed sometimes at how confessional Reformed believers treat each other. I'm amazed at how I treat my wife sometime when I'm upset. I'm, I, I'm amazed at my sinful nature and not in a good way. Brothers, when we, sisters, when we see someone caught in our sin, we don't want to, in a sin, we don't want to condemn them. What's the Bible say that you who are spiritual, what's it say? It says gently restore them. And, and guess what? We all fall into sin from time to time, don't we? Aren't you glad that Jesus Christ is so compassionate and loving to us that he doesn't keep a record of our sins? Aren't you glad that he doesn't, that he's not harsh with us every time we sin? Boy, I am. I don't know about you. I, I want to live for the glory of God. I don't want to sin. It's my de- heart's desire to live for the glory of God. And at the end of every day, as I'm, as I'm evaluating myself before the face of God, Spirit's just pointing out these sins. A lot of them are going on right up here. You, you wouldn't see them. My wife wouldn't see them. But God sees them. I'm thankful God's compassionate. Aren't you thankful that God's compassionate? Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ exercises his rule over you, over me, compassionately? Brothers and sisters, when we see someone caught in a sin, we have to remember, again, they're a child of God. We need to remember that God loves them. And I want to close saying this, please. Understand this. God loves you. He's ruling over you with great compassion. Zephaniah 3.17 reminds us that God rejoices over his people with singing. Trinity, United Reformed Church. With all of your good gifts and the good things that you do along with the mistakes that you make like every other church makes, by the way. God loves you. Jesus Christ is exercising his rule over you with great compassion. And isn't it amazing that he even uses our sins sometimes for his glory? 
and the good of others. God rejoices over you with singing. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we so thank you for Jesus Christ. We're thankful that he rules over us sovereignly. We're thankful that everything that comes into our lives, everything that happens, everything is working together for your glory and for our good. And we thank you that he exercises his rule over us personally. He's not far away. He's right here in the midst of us now as a congregation. And he dwells in our bodies. And he, he's in our families. Thank you that he exercises his rule personally. And thank you, thank you, thank you that he exercises his rule compassionately. Please make us willing instruments to be instruments of compassion, never turning a blind eye or deaf ear to sin, but really, truly caring and loving those who fall into sin. And we close this time of prayer and this service pleading that you will create a zeal within us as individuals, as families, as a church to share the Great Commission. Please, Holy Spirit, do that work within not only this church, but all the congregations of the saints for the sake of your glory, the good of your people, and the good of mankind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.